So our scripture reading this morning is found in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. Matthew's account of the nativity of Christmas. So Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. So we read in the word of God. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered this, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had borne a son, and he called his name Jesus. So, amen, and may the Lord grant us understanding of his holy word. So there's Matthew's take on Christmas. And Matthew's gospel brings us face to face with the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Many times throughout the Old Testament, God promised to send a redeemer, one who would undo the ravages of sin and Satan and restore us to fellowship with himself. And in Jesus, the prophecies were all fulfilled. In Jesus, God kept his word. Matthew's Gospel, as you know, is the first in order in our New Testament. And that's right. He is the ideal bridge between the two Testaments, promise and fulfillment. The new is in the old contained. The old is by the new explained. The New Testament completes what the Old Testament commences. Well, how did the birth of the Messiah, the longed-for Messiah, come about? Well, Matthew tells us, verse 18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, took place in this way. So here then is Matthew's take on Christmas. Christmas, of course, means different things to different people. And I said to people I work with, say, what images are conjured up by Christmas? Well, wonderful. 
time off work, perhaps a socially distant Christmas party. Well, it's just for children, really, isn't it? Then there's the man with the red socks, Santa Claus. Then, depending on your era, it's Bing Crosby or Noddy Holder or Mariah Carey. But for Christians, Christmas is all about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ and its significance in God's wonderful plan of salvation. He is the reason for the season. Of course, it may not actually have occurred on the 25th of December, probably didn't. Yet the fact that Christ was born is beyond dispute, even if the date in the timing of it isn't. So Christmas is all about the incarnation. God becoming man. God taking our human flesh. Colossians 2.9 In him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The incarnation. You get the word carnivore from that. Or carnal. Or even carnival. Carnival apparently in in Roman Catholic countries was a sort of time of indulgence of the flesh before Lent. It's all about God becoming man. So let's look at Matthew's account of the first Christmas this morning. I have four points for us from our passage. First of all, notice the uniqueness of the book. Secondly, notice the uniqueness of the birth. Thirdly, notice the uniqueness of the being. And fourthly, the best to last, notice the uniqueness of the blessing. The uniqueness of the book, the uniqueness of the birth, the uniqueness of the being, the uniqueness of the blessing. First point, the uniqueness of the book. Matthew says all this, that is, the conception of Christ, took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. The uniqueness of the book, the uniqueness of the Bible. You see, 700 years earlier, God had prophesied through Isaiah the prophet that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. Isaiah 7:14 Behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And the fulfillment of prophecy totally against the law of averages is one of the many reasons why Christians believe that the Bible is nothing less than the very word of God himself having God as its ultimate author. The fulfilment of prophecy. You and I can't predict events in the next week, let alone 700 years in the future. Did you know all about the pandemic when you celebrated the new year last year? No, you didn't know what was coming for you. None of us do. 
apparently once there was a notice in the South Wales Echo which said, next week's meeting of the Clairvoyance Society has been cancelled due to unforeseen circumstances. You and I don't know the future, but Almighty God, the Eternal God, knows it. Isaiah 46 verse 10 describes him as the one declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done. So the birth of Christ was all according to God's eternal plan, all according to his revealed plan, all according to prophecy. Isaiah 9, 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The uniqueness of the book. This Bible is inexplicable if a higher power did not cause it to be written. Isaiah had a contemporary, Micah. And in Micah 5.2, God revealed that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And he was. In Isaiah 53, you can read a detailed description of the death of Christ at Calvary. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that made us whole, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then in Psalm 22, 1,000 years B.C., you can read this. Calvary from the inside. Quote, they have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my raiment they cast lots. All fulfilled in the Christ who was to come. So the uniqueness of the book. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God. Theonustos, God breathed, breathed out by God's Holy Spirit over the human authors. How precious is the book divine. By inspiration given, bright as a lamp, its doctrines shine to guide our souls to heaven. First point, the uniqueness of the book. Second point, the uniqueness of the birth. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Well, actually, Christ's birth was normal. But his conception was anything but normal. His birth was natural, but his conception, according to the Bible, was supernatural. He was unique in that he was born of a virgin without the aid of a human father. 
Well, if you remember your GCSE biology, you will know that such things don't happen. So here we are dealing with a miracle. The miracle of the virgin birth, so-called. Joseph, Mary's husband-to-be, didn't believe in virgin births. When he found out that his wife-to-be was expecting, he had a terrible shock. He thought the worst. His marriage was over before it had begun. So God reassured him. He sent an angel to tell Joseph that all was well. Don't divorce Mary, Joseph. Joseph, do not fear to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 1, verse 20. It was a miracle. And miracles are impossible to anyone except the omnipotent God. And of course, everything about Jesus was miraculous. This virgin birth is in line with everything else we know about him. He entered this world supernaturally, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He left this world supernaturally, ascending on a cloud into heaven. He spoke like no other man. He performed miracles like no other man. He died like no other man. His death was an eternal atoning sacrifice for his people. He rose from the dead like no other man. He's coming back again in power and great glory like no one else. Every knee shall bow to the King of kings and Lord of lords. The uniqueness then of his birth in keeping with everything else about the Lord Jesus Christ. Why, though, is the virgin birth so important? I'll put it like this. Human father equals human failure. All descendants of Adam are sinners by nature and by practice. But the Redeemer had to be sinless if he was to redeem others, if he was able to give his life as a perfect sacrifice, like a lamb without blemish or spot. So the Lord Jesus was not a son of Adam. In him, Almighty God did something new. The Bible refers to Christ as, 1 Corinthians 15, 45, as the last Adam. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. He had no human father. God Almighty was his eternal father. And the Bible says if we are just in Adam, a descendant of Adam, and we all are, where we're heading for eternal hell. 
But the Bible says that if we are in Christ, the last Adam, we are heading for glory. The Bible says, as by one man's disobedience, Adam's, many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, Christ's sinless life and sacrificial death, many will be made righteous when they put their faith in him. So the uniqueness of the birth. Jesus was conceived supernaturally. It points us to his sinlessness, his impeccability. He was unable to sin. He had a sinless nature. He committed no sin. No guile was found on his lips, said Peter. And John wrote, you know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Remarkable. John was very close to the Lord Jesus. The closer you get to someone, the more their flaws and faults are revealed. The sinless Saviour. And it's his sinlessness which points us to the spotless sacrifice on behalf of sinners on Calvary's cross, which he alone could make. So the uniqueness of the book, the uniqueness of the birth, the virgin birth of Christ. The hymn puts it like this, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. And that leads us to our third point. The uniqueness of the book, the uniqueness of the birth, the uniqueness of the being, the one born at Bethlehem. People say, well, I don't really go in for religion. I don't mind Christmas, but oh, Leave the religious bit out. Well, here we're not dealing with religion. Here we are dealing with God himself. Emmanuel, which means God with us. So here we have the uniqueness of Christ. The uniqueness of the Christian faith. Other religions preach as that to get to God, we have to strive to please him, to reach him. The Christian faith tells us that God actually came down to earth to reach us in the Lord Jesus Christ. John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. 1 Timothy 3.16, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of our religion, God was manifested in the flesh, the uniqueness of the being. Once upon a time in America, there lived a man who joined the American Air Force. He eventually became an astronaut. His name was Neil Armstrong. Back in 1969, Neil Armstrong actually walked on the moon, the first man ever to walk 
on the moon. One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. What an amazing feat to take a man to the moon and back safely, walking on the moon. But at Christmas, God walked on planet Earth. God in Christ walking on Earth dwarfs even the amazing feet of man or a man walking on the moon. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. What is God like, people wonder? Well, he is Christ-like, for Christ is God with us, God in the flesh. Of course, Bethlehem wasn't his beginning. He always was. He lived in eternity past as the second person of the Blessed Trinity in the unity of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But 2,000 years ago or so, God became man. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, our Emmanuel, the uniqueness of the baby born at Bethlehem, the uniqueness of his being. He is the God-man. Christianity is Christ and Jesus Christ is God. Come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord, to him worship belongs. The uniqueness of Christ. In Christ the infinite became an infant. The wonder of the incarnation. Do you still wonder what God is really like? One wonder no further. Look to Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. He said in John 14, 9, He who has seen me has seen the Father. In John 1, 18, we read, No one has ever seen God, the only Son who is in the bosom of the Father. He has made him known. The wonder of the being, the uniqueness of the Christian faith amongst all the world's religions and isms, stems from the uniqueness of the one at the heart of the Christian faith, the uniqueness of the Lord Jesus Christ, the uniqueness of the book, the uniqueness of the birth, the uniqueness of his being. Last point. Say hallelujah. <laughs> the uniqueness of the blessing. Why did God become man? Why was Jesus born in Bethlehem? Well, very unusually, unusual as it sounds, Jesus was born not to live, but to die. He was born for those last hours of his earthly life, when he was hung up to die on a cross. And the sky was blackened. And you heard that horrible cry, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I will never forget the time when I had just come in from work. 
and my phone went. Wonder who that is. And it was my younger brother on the phone. He rang to tell me that I had become an uncle. Ooh, an uncle. My reply was, so you're a dad. Scary thought. Your younger brother, a father. His wife had given birth to Philippa, my niece. And we are, I'm pleased to say, the bestest of pals, Philippa and I. Of course, many prayers were offered for Philippa. When people have children, not that I'm an expert, of course, you trust that they will live a long and healthy life. You're concerned for their physical well-being, their educational well-being, their spiritual well-being, their general happiness. You hope they'll live a long and healthy life. But that wasn't the case with the Lord Jesus. He was born, actually, to die. You read in Matthew 1.21, You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And that takes us from the birth of Christ at Bethlehem to the death of Christ at Calvary, 33 years later. On Calvary, Jesus bled and died, so that all who put their faith in him may know and enjoy the forgiveness of sins and peace with God. The Bible says that we are all sinners by nature and practice. We all need to be forgiven then if we're to go to heaven and escape the flames of hell. And the Christ of Christmas is the only answer to this, our deepest need. He grew up and went to the cross. 1 Timothy 1.15, the saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, the purpose of Christmas. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So that begs the question, do you know that your sins are forgiven and that you are right with God, your maker. Are you saved? Or to put it another way, have you put your faith in the Saviour, the eternal Son of God, who became man for sinners and bled and shed his precious blood so that we could be forgiven? And this Saviour today calls you to himself. And when you put your faith in him, you will know the uniqueness of the blessing. Ephesians 1.7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. 1 John 2.12, I am writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his sake, because of what the Lord Jesus has done on Calvary's cross. So the uniqueness of the blessing, Jesus 
And Jesus alone bestows the salvation of God on all who believe in him, all who come to him in repentance and faith and acknowledge their need. Jesus alone. Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And his salvation is eternal. You know, the blessed of earthly blessings grow dim. My first experience of grief was when my hamster died. But Christmas is great while it lasts. But then the tree is put away and we have to face the winter, not the favourite time of the year. At the moment, everything seems so uncertain. Jobs are uncertain. Interest rates are so low. Health is uncertain. You can be full of fitness one day and then the next day be absolutely racked with pain. Our moods go up and down. Even our achievements, they can lead to a sense of anticlimax when you've got where you thought you wanted to be. But the salvation and the joy of Christ is eternal. In fact, it grows better throughout life and throughout eternity. In thy presence there is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 16, verse 10. Vain the worldling's boasted pleasure. All his boasted pomp and show. Solid joys and lasting treasure. None but Zion's children know. So the uniqueness of the blessing. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your own personal saviour? If not, what better time than Christmas to put your faith in Christ. Remember, behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Remember, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the reason for this season. Jesus, and Jesus alone, is the secret of knowing a happy life, a happy death, and a happy eternity. Amen.